Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Sometimes it's moments of brokenness which create the greatest transformations. Times where fear gives birth to faith, pain leads to healing, and chaos dissolves into peace. It's in these times we often see God more clearly. For in our deepest turmoil, He remains faithful. When our spirit is crushed, He remains strong. When our moment is too heavy, He carries the burden. As gold is refined by fire, we too are often refined by struggle. It's part of growing, changing, becoming. Lately, the journey has been difficult. Our breath has been labored. Our steps uneasy. But we stand in faith knowing who is leading us through this desert. The God of peace, the God of hope, the God of restoration. Good morning, brethren. There are times in life in which we feel helpless. We don't know where to turn. We wish we could make a difference. We wish we could change things, but but they don't. They don't change. And so we feel lost. We feel like we need to something to grab onto or grab hold of. And in such moments in life, one of the most important message, messages that we can listen, that we can hear, is the message that Mark offered his audience. The Gospel of Mark in in the chapters between 4 and 8, identifies Jesus Christ as the Son of God by demonstrating His power, by showing that He has power over nature, over the realm of Satan, over sickness and disease, over men, over all authority, over pagan rule, over the physical needs of the Jews and Gentiles alike, and over the dangers of life, even over tradition, and over physical impediments that people suffer, and over religion, legalism, religionists. It is in that context in which Mark shows that Jesus is the Son of God because of the power of God manifest in Him. It is in that context that we see our section today in Mark, of course, and where Mark reports two important miracles. And he does it in great detail. And as usual, we can learn a great deal from these miracles. We can learn a great deal from what happened, from what was done or not done, and what was said. Let's read about them. The first one in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, and yet 
he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Now the first of the two miracles that Mark reports in this section was for a Gentile, a Gentile woman, a Syrophoenician woman. The city of Tyre was a seaport city in what today is called Lebanon. It's about 40 miles northwest of Capernaum. Let's look at it a little more in detail. Verse 24, Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, and yet he could not escape notice. Jesus went to Tyre looking for some privacy. There was too much commotion in Judea, too much going on, and he was too well known, and, and he really didn't have an, a moment of peace. And so he went to Tyre, and he was spending time with the disciples, teaching them in private. It's interesting however, to notice that just prior to this section, Jesus had just talked about purity and what comes from outside. Whatever comes from outside into the body does not contaminate us, but it is what comes from the heart and manifests itself from the heart that contaminates us. Likewise, being a Gentile, it's not what contaminates us, but what our heart is like. That is what could contaminate us, what comes out of our heart again. Verses 25 and 26. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of a Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now notice the urgency and the determination of this woman. In fact, imagine being her, desperate for her daughter's condition and seeking God's mercy. As a parent, I cannot imagine watching my, my son or my daughter in, in a condition like that being so disturbed, so taken so ill from, from a demon even, it, it must be shredding her heart. But having heard that Jesus was in town, and obviously the reputation of Jesus had reached the area of Tyre, she immediately went to see him. And she would not take no for an answer. She went to him and, and, and she would beg him and pleading with him for her daughter. So she fell at Jesus' feet, a sign of deep, profound respect. 
And the question that immediately comes to my mind is, are we seeking God for our children just as fervently as she did? Do we care about our children and, our, and, and their spiritual state? Do we pray for them? Do we seek God for them? And I hope so. But let's continue. Verse 27. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, this was an illustration that Jesus used. In the Hebrew culture, the use of illustrations to make a point, describing something using metaphors and parables was common. Here the word that is the Greek word that was used for dogs. However, it is not a normal word, a normal noun for dog, but it's a diminutive, indicating either puppies or little pet dogs. It does not, it's not used for scavengers as it would be in Judah. Dogs in, in, the, in Judah were considered very unclean and quite filthy animals, and the, and the only dogs you would see there would be scavengers. But in the uh, Gentile areas, it was not uncommon for children to have puppies or little pet dogs, just like it is in our culture today. The point here that Jesus was making with that illustration is that Jesus was working with his disciples, and the time for the Gentiles had not yet come. So he needed to concentrate on the training that he was providing and the teaching he was providing to his disciples. Notice the terms of the illustration. The children eat before their pets. If you're a parent, you would feed your children before you feed the little doggy, the little pet. But who are the children in this illustration? Well, the children are the disciples of Jesus, who were his priority. They needed to be attended to first, and that's why he went to Tyre to begin with. The bread was the benefit of his ministry and training. But the little dogs, the pet dogs, were the Gentiles or the others that were not with them, including, of course, this Syrophoenician woman. We continue then in verse 28. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. You see, this woman, hearing the illustration that Jesus used to, to answer her, took that illustration further. Now, she, does not contra she did not contradict Jesus, but she pointed out that those puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the children at the same time, as the children eat. So she paints a further picture <clears throat> where the children are indeed served first and they're eating their meal, but as they're eating their meal, the crumbs fall to the ground and the little puppy or the little pet dog would eat those crumbs. By doing so, she demonstrated faith Faith and the belief that not much was needed for Jesus to heal her daughter. Jesus did not need to leave that area 
or to leave his disciples to abandon what he was doing and the ministry that he was doing at that moment in order to heal her daughter. He did not go over there and do what the, maybe the magicians or the physicians would do. All he needed to do is to will that. There was no need to interrupt his ministry. And that was the point that this woman, Syrophoenician woman, was making with Jesus. You don't need to stop feeding the children because those crumbs fall to the ground and those doggies can eat those crumbs. Her faith was demonstrated in a combination of zeal as well as <clears throat> together with humble respect for God that moved her to plead earnestly for her daughter and to not give up. But not give up not in the sense of of, of trying to impose her will over God's, but in, in pleading respectfully with, with Jesus. The point that we can draw from that is that there is no barrier that can separate us from Jesus and God's love. Notice that the distance between Jesus and the girl was not an issue. When this woman went back home, she found the child completely healed, completely doing well. Likewise, race was not a barrier. Culture was not a barrier. The fact that she was a woman and not a man was not a barrier. Notice what Paul was inspired to write about that in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No boundary, no barrier, nothing, absolutely nothing can come between us and the love of God that is manifest in Jesus Christ. And Jesus had no boundaries either. It was not limited to the Jews. He gave priority, of course, to the Jews, but he also healed and shared the gospel with the Gentiles as well. Now, it is true, in this section we find in two miracles in which he provides healing or performs healing for Gentiles. But let's not forget the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman, the woman from Samaria, also a Gentile, was not healed by Jesus, but received the gospel, and she gladly went to town to share the gospel with the whole town in Samaria. So Jesus did not withdraw the gospel, did not negate the gospel from these people just because they were Gentiles, or just because they were of a slightly different ethnic background. Well, let's go now to verses 31 to 37. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee without, within the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. 
they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The second miracle, reported only by Mark, involved a deaf and mute man from the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis, in verse 31, which reads as, again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon on the, uh, to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a region with, it means 10 cities. It's mostly Gentile area in the area that would be called today Jordan. So what, what is interesting about this is that Jesus avoided going back into Galilee. He took a big, wide turn. He went through Syria, today's Lebanon and Syria, down to the Tetrarchy of Philip, um, which is known today, the Golan Heights, to the Decapolis, which is modern Jordan. So he took quite a bit of a turn to avoid going back to Galilee. Verse 32, They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Um, he was deaf. We know that when you cannot hear, you are unable to speak clearly because you don't hear what, you're, what you sound like. You, don't, you cannot hear the sounds of the others. You cannot hear your own sounds. And so it's difficult, very difficult to speak clearly. They asked him to lay hands on this person um, in order to heal him of his deafness. It was typical uh, for something like this to be done through the laying on of the hands. It was not unusual. And it is still performed today. When we pray for someone's healing, when we pray for God's intervention on, another, uh, of an, in, on an individual, when we pray for God to um, in, empower and endow an individual for a certain office, we do that by laying in the hands, the hands on the individual as well. Let's go now to verse 33. Jesus took this man, the deaf man, aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears and after spitting he touched his tongue with the saliva and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. Now Jesus took him aside from the crowds. Crowds often gathered to see magicians perform their tricks. And the magicians would thrive in that because their whole purpose was to attract a large crowd. Now Jesus was not seeking anything like that. He, it, this was not a popularity contest. contest. He was not... The purpose of all this was not to attract a crowd. But Jesus, in private, did something strange. There were several actions that he did. There were symbolic, visual acts for the benefit of a man who could not hear him. And so through those actions, Jesus told this man, basically, he showed this man what he was going to do and the fact that it all came from God. He communicated what he was about to do in order to stir up or to encourage or to support this man's faith. Now that is, I believe, is also an example for us. 
the question I ask myself is, do we use whatever means of communication that may be needed for the sake of the gospel? Do we communicate in a way that others will understand? You see, Jesus used a communication that this man could understand and then spoke plainly in Aramaic so that the others could understand and most likely this man would recognize that word from lip reading. Do we follow that example? Do we use art, music, speech, storytelling to share the gospel in a way that people would relate to and understand? Well, Jesus did. If there was one person on the face of this earth who had perfect theology, it was Jesus Christ. And yet you never, ever seen him in, in public giving a dissertation of theology. He always spoke to the public. He always spoke to the people in a way that they could understand. And when he spoke in parable, so that people would not understand immediately, he would always be available to explain the parable for those who were seeking to know. Verse 36. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Jesus did not want people to look at him as a miracle worker. And so he told the people not to spread the news of that, not to sensationalize that. The people, however, you know how people are, were overcome with amazement and, and talked to each other and talked to other people and the news spread out like wildfire. And then their statement, as reported by Mark, the statement, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Seems particularly important in the context that Mark places it. Because it bears witness to two important truths. The first, that God does all things well. Notice as Genesis, notice Genesis 1 31. God saw, this is a, a creation, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, it was the sixth day. God does all things well. What God does is indeed very good. But you know, verse 31 of Genesis 1 is about humans. Up to the point in, in that chapter 1 of Genesis, you see God doing things, God creating things, and it was good. But when God makes humans in His image and likeness, then God's statement changes. And God said, it is very good. You know, God still does all things well even today. God is at work in you. If you are hearing this message, it's because God wants you to hear it. And He's at work in you. And He knows what He's doing. And He does things well. And when God is done, when God's work is finished, 
God will look at it and will say, it is very good. The second important truth that this statement summarizes is that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And it is to Isaiah that this statement points to. Isaiah chapter 35, and beginning with verse 3, that states, Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of a blind will be opened, and the ears of a deaf will be unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of a mute will shout for joy. That was obviously a messianic statement from Isaiah, and Mark in here, in his gospel, reports the statement that these people who were utterly astonished at Jesus' work and what Jesus had done as an additional proof, additional evidence that he was the Son of God and that he was Messiah. But that last statement, however, really makes me think. I kept thinking about it and I could not shake that thought. It makes me think about us. It makes me think what people would mean today with the statement, He has done all things well. What would they mean for us? Would a statement like that perhaps for us mean that He has served us well? That He has granted us all the wishes that we wanted granted? That he was good in doing the things that we want him to do? Or would it mean that whatever he decides will be the best for us, even if we don't quite see it at the moment? That's an important question. All too often today, people look at God as a genie in the bottle, as a, as a Santa, this just distributing gifts just for the asking. You go to God, well, you go to church maybe, you pay your due, then you pray, and God gives you your wishes. But that's not God. That may be the story of a genie and a lamp, but that's not the story of God. And it's not the story of your life either. I hope that for us today, the statement, he has done all things well, means that we can trust him. It means that whatever he's, a, he's working in our life, whatever the, 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 the outcome for the immediate time seems to be, even when it seems to be not what we wish, we know, and we know that we know, that God knows what he's doing, and that God does all things well, and that when God has finished working in our life and working in us, we will join him in declaring it is very good. Brethren, God looks at our hearts. He looks at our faith. Whether we trust in ourselves, whether we see only this temporary physical life, or we trust in him and look at life the way he does. You see, 
You can trust God. It doesn't matter who you have been. It matters who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, what ethnic background you have, what nationality you have. It doesn't even matter how righteous we, think, we, we thought we were. Because it's not about us. It's all about Him. Not us, but Him. And what He has done and what He is doing to redeem us and to save us. That's what it's all about. It's about our surrender to Him. Our trust of Him. Like that Gentile mother cared about her daughter, so the Lord cares about all of us. But do we care about one another just as well? Jesus' power to redeem is not limited by distance or physical circumstances. His presence in us transcends all that. And he will open our ears as well so that we can hear him correctly and talk about him correctly as well as long as we go to him, surrender to him, ask him, and accept his work, accept his word, accept him in us and the Holy Spirit working in us. Jesus did not seek popularity. He ministered as it was needed. What about us? Do we still play the number games? Do we still seek popularity? Of, or do we seek faithfulness to him instead? What if we could just say something that makes us immediately popular? But it's not the truth. Would we then join the Apostle Paul in saying, am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? Are we going to be faithful to God even when it's not popular? Jesus communicated in a way people could understand. Are we going to do the same? Are we trying to reach out to tell his story through our own personal story as it is needed? Or are we more concerned about ourselves and using big, pompous words? Look, I understand technical terms of theology as well. But I try not to use them. I try not to use them because I'm not talking to an audience of experts, nor am I giving a dissertation on theology. I'm, I'm trying to reach you and others like you with a simple message of the gospel. And that's what we should do. But we can do it in so many other different ways. We can do it in, with, by, by using the gifts that God has given us. Storytelling, acting, singing, music, art. Numerous different ways that we can communicate, but the message is the same. The question is not whether we can. The question is, do we care enough to share him and to share his story through our personal story? I hope that we do. So until next time, God bless you. 
Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father.
Lord, how could we ever thank you enough for making us a chosen people, a royal priesthood in your special possession. Please grant us that everywhere we go, we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. Amen.